This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day and welcome to episode 23 of AFF On Air. It is Saturday the 2nd of November 2019 and I'm your host Matt Graham. Coming up in this episode, I chat to the president of the Historic Aircraft Restoration Society, also known as HARS. The Haas Museum at Illawarra Regional Airport near Wollongong is probably most famous for the retired Qantas Boeing 747 that's parked out the front, but it will also soon be home to John Travolta's 707. Also coming up, why taxi touts are harassing and scamming travellers at Melbourne Airport and the plan to do something about it. But first, here's what's making news in the world of airlines and points this fortnight. And Qantas has grounded three of its Boeing 737-800 aircraft after inspections revealed hairline cracks in a part known as the Pickle Fork. These aircraft will be repaired and returned to service by the end of the year, and the remaining 737 fleet is unaffected and safe to fly. The problem with the Pickle Forks has affected around 50 older Boeing 737 Next Generation aircraft worldwide. Virgin Australia has 19 aircraft that were affected by the US Federal Aviation Administration's Airworthiness Director. All of these aircraft have been inspected and Virgin did not find any faults. The Australian government will this month relaunch its Smart Traveller website. The Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade says it will now be easier for travellers to access travel advisories But if you've subscribed to Smart Travel Alerts, you'll now need to resubscribe when the new website launches. Subscriptions will not be carried over. You'll also no longer be able to register your travel plans with the government unless there's a crisis in that country, a move which has confused and angered some travellers. American Airlines will launch seasonal flights next summer from Auckland to Dallas-Fort Worth and Christchurch to Los Angeles. The flights will complement Americans' existing Auckland to Los Angeles and Sydney to Los Angeles flights, and Qantas will code share on all of the services. Tickets for the new routes will go on sale later this month. Meanwhile, Air New Zealand has announced it will commence non-stop flights from Auckland to Newark Airport in New York from next year. At the same time, it will no longer fly to London Heathrow, which is Air New Zealand's only destination in Europe. Air New Zealand has flown from Auckland to London via Los Angeles since 1982. The announcement came just a few days after Qantas successfully completed a marketing, I mean, a research flight from New York to Sydney non-stop. In other route news, Cathay Pacific last week ended service from Hong Kong to Cairns, while United has now commenced direct flights from Melbourne to San Francisco, and Latam Airlines has started flying non-stop from Sydney to Santiago. Virgin Australia has won final approval to launch flights from Brisbane to Tokyo's Haneda Airport from March next year. The International Air Services Commission awarded one of the two available Haneda slots to Virgin and the other to Qantas. Qantas has not yet revealed whether it plans to use its slot to increase Sydney to Tokyo flights to double daily or to move its Melbourne-Narita flight to Haneda Airport. Qantas Frequent Flyer has launched a new car insurance product underwritten by Auto and General, which promises customers one Qantas point per dollar spent on premiums. Qantas is also offering up to 20,000 bonus points to new customers that sign up by December. 
but the product has attracted some criticism, with some frequent flyers finding that they would be up for a substantial premium increase in order to make the switch and earn some Qantas points. And Velocity Frequent Flyer has launched its six-monthly bonus points promotion on transfers from credit cards and hotel loyalty programs. Until the end of November, you can earn 15% bonus Velocity points when transferring from 19 participating loyalty programs, including uh, the credit card rewards programs of three of the four major banks, as well as Flybys and Chris Flyer. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news updates and deals, be sure to subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette or follow us on Facebook. Two weeks ago, the annual AFF gathering was held in Sydney. It was the 13th time that the AFF community has come together for a weekend somewhere in Australia, and it was a great weekend. I was very pleased to have met some of you there. The main event was the Thai dinner on the Saturday night, where we heard from guest speaker Ernst Kroker. Ernst was instrumental in developing the airport slot system that we see in Australia today. And if you're interested in hearing Ernst's speech, there is a link in uh, to the transcription in the notes for this episode. Over the course of the weekend, we were also fortunate to visit the Historic Aircraft Restoration Society, or HARS, which is based at Illawarra Regional Airport in Shell Harbour near Wollongong. HARS is probably best known for the retired Qantas 747-400 VHOJA, which is parked right out the front. VHOJA was Qantas's first Boeing 747-400, which was delivered to the airline in 1989. Its longest ever flight, and a record-baking flight at that, was actually the delivery flight which ran non-stop from London Heathrow to Sydney in 1989, and this flight took 20 hours, 9 minutes and 5 seconds. The feat of flying non-stop from London to Sydney will be attempted by Qantas once again later this month with uh, one of its new Boeing 7879 Dreamliners. Now, VHOJA went on to fly Qantas passengers around the world until 2015 when it was retired. The plane's shortest flight was its last flight when it flew from Sydney Airport to Wollongong in around 12 minutes. But the pilots, mind you, had to train for about six months just to do that 12-minute flight. And the aircraft was subsequently donated to Haas on arrival into the Illawarra Airport. Haas continues to preserve the aircraft, and to this day, you can visit Haas and take a tour of the wonderful plane, as well as the many other dozens of uh, other historic aircraft on display at the museum. Haas will also soon receive John Travolta's very own Boeing 707, which it will add to its collection once the plane's been brought over from the US. While I was at Haas, I spoke to Bob Delahunty, who is the president of Haas. Here's the interview. It's the last day of the AFF 13th annual gathering, and this year it's in Sydney, and today we're on a day trip down to Haas, or the Historic Aircraft Restoration Society at the Wollongong Airport. And uh, joining me on the podcast right now, it's Bob Delahunty, who is the president of Haas. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, it's great for us to have all of you folk here. Uh, we're pretty proud of the collection we've managed to save from scrap yards over the years. Uh, most of the aircraft you've seen today would have been surely scrapped, including the 747, if we hadn't have uh, stuck our uh, 
uh, hand out and said yes we'll save and uh, collect so that's what we effectively have done here. Um, my background is that um, I had an interest from when I was a little kid about aeroplanes flying over and uh, although my career was in uh, superannuation and financial services rather than in, in aviation I did have my cake and ate it too by having a commercial licence to fly around my territory and uh, then ultimately taking uh, the time out to help uh, some airlines and uh, rural medical health service in doing some charter backup for the for taking doctors out to country centres etc. So that was sort of the, the background to it but I guess it really stepped up a notch in uh, on April Fool's Day 1988 when um, my um, secretary's husband and I decided we would acquire the Blue Neptune which you've seen outside and we've been operating that aircraft ever since and that's the, uh, the aircraft that then generated the interest when I was at a conference in Tahiti my wife and I saw another Neptune being uh, potentially burnt in the fire dump and we decided to rescue that which we did and flew it back to Australia on Bastille Day 1989. The out outcome of that was um, another conference in America we decided we needed some spare parts for Neptunes so we went down to uh, after the conference to Davis Montham big boneyard down there in Arizona uh, got some Neptune spares but there was a derelict super constellation so out of all of that decided that um, Australia needed a super constellation so negotiated with again with the Americans and ultimately you'll see the outcome of that in Hangar 1 here with our super constellation which now is the only one flying in the world so that's been I guess the background and out of that all these aeroplanes started to breed and uh, we've now got some 61 aircraft uh, and many of them either restoration processes in place to have them fly or they're um, uh, flying now. Some of them we could get flying but uh, economically that might be practical but at least we've saved them from the scrapyard. So how did Haas in its current form, we've got several hangars here, you've got about 60 aircraft, is that right? How did that sort of come about to be what it is today? Well, we always say we started with nothing and this is what we've got left. But just out of passionate and determination, we found the resources and money to uh, acquire initially the land on a lease basis long term from the council. And then we gradually built uh, hangars to uh, cover the aircraft and that's been a long going process with sponsors and uh, we we uh, obviously welcome new sponsors all the time and the public to come and visit us and that helps us fund what we've, uh, we're doing now and what we intend to do in the future. So what is the main source of uh, revenue for Haas? Do you get government funding or is it mostly through sponsorships or, and visitors and I guess also if people want to support Haas, uh, what can they do? Well we don't have any government sponsorship. Um, we have had, back in the Howard government days, we got 250000 to support a, an education program for here. Uh, the rest of it's all been virtually uh, by private connections with individuals who are happy to put money into what we do. And that's been the, the process to get to where we are. These days we've got um, uh, the public coming to visit us, which is helping to uh, develop what we, we're doing. And uh, we need to grow that and for the public to help us come and visit us um, it's a small charge for the tours around the place and as you've seen it's well worthwhile and you get to do things where you don't get to see or do anywhere in the world you can go and sit in an F-111 fighter bomber you can climb through a Neptune bomber 
you can sit in a 747, you can climb through a super constellation, you can sit, into, sit in the helicopters, you can sit in various other aircraft. So we're fairly unique that people can do what very few museums allow people to do anywhere in the world. So we're a hands-on working museum, tour guides providing uh, the dialogue so people can actually watch and see all that happening. And having done the tour this morning, I can definitely vouch for that. It's definitely well worth coming down to the Illawarra Regional Airport and uh, visiting Haas and, yeah, taking one of the tours. You can go inside the 747 as well, um, which I'll ask you about in just a moment. But first, I wanted to ask, how many volunteers do you have working here at Haas? We've got over 700 volunteers. Many of them come from airline backgrounds. Uh, some of them are current Qantas or Air Force pilots and other airline pilots who uh, can't wait to get on the ground and come down and help us. Currently I'm just training a A380 captain who's uh, on board the Neptune with me taxiing around at the moment. He um, uh, was a, a licensed aircraft engineer with Qantas, ended up flying as a flight engineer on 747s and as a pilot on 747s and more recently as an A380 pilot but he's very keen to fly the Super Constellation and the Neptune Bomber and we're going through a training program on that at the moment. So all our volunteers have come from backgrounds very diverse, uh, from uh, lawyers to school teachers to a couple of ministers to from professors to wives um, who are happy to come and volunteer. So it's a, uh, an organisation with diverse tentacles and uh, we've, uh, we've grown uh, teams to work with various aircraft and uh, to um, establish the picture that you now see. Probably when people think of Haas, the most iconic uh, thing is the big 747 parked out the front. So you've been lucky enough to acquire VHOJA, which was the first Qantas 747-400. It, uh, it flew non-stop from London to Sydney in 1989, which is quite an achievement, then was in service with Qantas for many years, and now it calls Haas home. Can you tell me, how did you come to get VHOJA? Our passion for restoring and keeping aircraft from the scrapyard uh, was well known and we'd been working with Qantas on lots of historic uh, things but on uh, one occasion um, I had a phone call from senior people in Qantas to say that uh, the uh, CEO was about to sign an agreement for this record-breaking aircraft to go to the desert the following week for uh, being uh, sold off to the scrap dealers and he was really desperate to see that it be saved somehow suggested that we get a we receive a call to see whether we can do something to save it and uh, as a consequence of that uh, I said yes and then thought what the hell have I just said and then uh, uh, worked out that um, we could do something uh, they asked me for a, an email very quickly so that the uh, process of signing a contract could be stopped and uh, I went to the council seeking extra land where it's parked and then um, also back to CASA uh, and then back to, uh, to Qantas and within a week the CEO of Qantas uh, had announced to the media that the aircraft would no longer be going to the, the desert and being scrapped it would be preserved and uh, so uh, after continuing service for a while until a big service bulletin was due it then flew in here and uh, as you can see, we uh, treat it as though it's still a live aircraft. It's serviced every day by our uh, very enthusiastic, passionate Qantas retired people and current Qantas people to make sure that the public see it as being a live aircraft still. We power it up and have premium tours on board, wing walks, and uh, it's become an iconic tourist attraction.
So the delivery flight of VHOJA was one of the world's longest ever commercial flights. The final flight for VHOJA was only 11 minutes from Sydney here to Wollongong. What was the steps involved in getting the aircraft ready for that very short flight and also getting the crew ready to operate that? And was, did you have to do anything special with the aircraft or with the airport here to be able to do that? No, the aircraft are more than capable of landing here and uh, there were some people who thought it'd have to be stripped out and it wasn't, it was left as intact as it's ever been and uh, the runway is more than capable, in fact the simulator training etc that um, our crew that flew it in, who are, some of them are still HARS members, uh, found that they could get airborne and back on the ground in virtually half the runway here. So when it did land it um, had reduced tyre pressures, didn't need reverse, didn't need anything more than just a stage one of, of uh, uh, brakes and just rolled through, we hooked it up and pushed it into position. And uh, it had still 20 tonnes of fuel on board, uh, but if you look at the beautiful wing on a Boeing, um, even in a, a relatively uh, small wind, it does rise and fall and we have to strap it down because uh, it's still as it was, I said, so it's only just empty of passengers and fuel, really. Yeah, and it is a very fitting home for the city of Canberra right here in Haas. So do you have any other major projects in the works? Well, we do, um, and I have that question asked many times, but they range from some of the aircraft we've got here to get airworthy, and uh, we've also some of the defence aircraft that we are slated to get. We're also looking at, um, we've got a MiG-21, which we've just putting together down in the hangar at the moment. We've got a MiG-15 and a MiG-17. So we'll have a Cold War display coming up. But I guess one of the eye-catching ones is that Qantas were unique in the world in having a fleet of 707s right at the beginning of jet operations. And um, we're uniquely uh, pleased to say we own one of those. And it was formerly operated and owned by John Travolta. It's in Qantas colours. We have a licence with Qantas to keep it in their colour scheme. And uh, it's got some service bulletins to uh, undertake. And it's in uh, Brunswick, Georgia, in the United States at the moment. We've been overrunning engines and checking it all out. But when the weight of the paperwork equals the weight of the aeroplane, we'll get it here. So it's a pretty exciting project. Very low time aeroplane. It's in, uh, in really good shape but uh, service bulletins need to be done and that'll take a bit of time and a bit of money. So if anyone wants to help us with donating any money towards that project, uh, it'd be really welcome because like our super constellation, which people thought we couldn't do this 30 odd years ago, and it did cost a few million in terms of actual cost of, and sponsorship, this is the same. It's virtually a remake of the Super Connie project It'll cost us probably another million dollars to get it here and we're looking at sponsorship all the time to support that process and uh, we've got uh, Bendigo Bank on board to help us with that process, QBE Aviation, we've got Viva Energy, the fuel aviation fuel supplier and a number of Haas individuals. We've had about 200 of our Haas ind individuals put in personal donations towards that project so it'll happen. We've got lots of people here who actually flew that very aircraft in service when they were with Qantas. So uh, it's pretty important for us to uh, to add this to the fleet and it'll look pretty good sitting next to OJA, the 747. The last thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, are there any aircraft that you're particularly fond of or particularly proud of? Because you've got quite a collection here. Are there any ones that, um, yeah, that are, your, I guess, your favourite? 
No, historically all of the aeroplanes are pretty important and uh, I enjoy flying the Super Connie and the Neptune and, uh, but I enjoy flying other ones as well but uh, particularly we uh, saw the need to preserve and save uh, the aircraft that you see around the place so uh, there's not one of them that I would say that I wasn't interested in saving. Um, Haas uh, has a, a special uh, position in our Australian tourist industry and aviation industry and we're at the cutting edge I guess of training uh, younger people on aviation history and also technical to prepare them for airline operations or military operations and we've seen a number of our younger people who sometimes have been the sons or daughters of some of our members go onto the military or go into the airlines and uh, we're pretty proud of that and we also provide a place for disabled people to come and uh, share such things that they can't do in normal life and uh, particularly school children are here in mass every week and uh, uh, we're, we're pretty keen to continue that on so part of Haas is an education process and a good feeling about people, our history. We had the fifth largest air force in the world back in World War II and we had a huge manufacturing capability. We lost our way with all of that. We're hoping that Australia could recapture some of that by uh, looking at history and learning from it and uh, getting some pride and passion going. Wonderful. And sorry about the background noise. We are sitting in the Connie Cafe here in Haas, which is a public place. There is a bit of background noise. But thank you very much, Bob Delahunty, for coming on to the podcast. Fascinating insight. Appreciate your time. Thank you for your interest. Hi, this is Clifford Reichland from the Australian Frequent Flyer. I know that many of you have already registered on our website. But for those of you who haven't, do you know that as a registered member, you can fully participate in our discussion forums, send messages to other AFF members, access our services such as Flight Tracker for tracking your flights, and you see few advertisements. And the best part is that our basic membership is 100% free. To register, simply go to australianfrequentflyer.com.au slash register, choose your account type, and then register. Simple as that. Welcome back. If you've been to Melbourne Airport during the past year or so, you've probably noticed the group of taxi drivers that hover around the arrivals hall hassling arriving passengers and offering unsolicited taxi services. Now, there's an official taxi rank right outside the airport terminal, but this doesn't stop these touts who can be pushy, um, and some of them are not even registered taxi drivers. Some of them have also been caught out scamming unsuspecting tourists by overcharging them. Now, these people can be quite pushy as you try to exit the airport. They'll sometimes even take your luggage from you before you have a chance to decline their services. Now, it's the kind of thing you'd expect to see in some third world countries. But sadly, since touting became legal in the state of Victoria last year, this has become business as usual for Melbourne Airport. Melbourne Airport itself bans touting, and there are even regular announcements warning travellers to avoid the taxi touts. But the airport is pretty much powerless to actually do anything about it because, as I said, the practice is bizarrely legal. In my opinion, sadly, the airport is also part of the problem. One of the reasons I think that the touts are so successful is that you often have to wait for ages for a cab at the official rank, and this is despite the fact that there are often hundreds of drivers waiting to pick up a fare in the airport holding bay. 
Now, according to the Victorian Taxi and Hire Car Families organization, the problem here is that the airport only releases five taxis at a time, which simply isn't enough to meet demand. And the whole situation, it really doesn't make any sense, to be honest. Meanwhile, Melbourne taxi drivers are angry that the touts, as well as Uber and ride-sharing services in general, are making it difficult for them to run their businesses. There's been quite a bit of media attention about this lately, and the ABC even spoke to one legitimate taxi driver that was choosing to tout in the arrivals hall instead of waiting in the regular taxi queue because he felt it was the only way to make money these days. The driver complained that he would often wait for up to three hours in the airport's holding bay only to pick up a 10 or $15 fare at the rank. And again, if he's waiting three hours for a fare, why is there often such a big queue to get a taxi in Melbourne Airport? That doesn't make any sense. In any case, uh, the issue with touting could be fixed very soon, uh, which is very good news. On the 13th of November, so in just uh, under two weeks, the Victorian State Parliament will debate a private member's bill introduced by Rod Barton to reinstate penalties for taxi touts. Now, I certainly hope it succeeds because the taxi touts are a scourge on Melbourne's reputation. They're placing tourists in danger and they're also harming legitimate taxi drivers. A resumption of the anti-touting laws in Victoria won't solve all of the problems, but it would be a very welcome start, and I certainly hope to see this bill uh, pass in the Victorian State Parliament. To wrap up this fortnight's episode, welcome to Ask Matt, where I answer your questions on air. This fortnight's question comes from GDA380, who asks... In the Air Chatham's podcast, where in the interview with Leon, you talk about using the One World uh, Classic Flight Reward with Qantas for two trips, one to the US and uh, Helsinki. Leon travels from Australia to the US, then returns to Singapore for a stopover. He then commenced a second trip from Singapore to Helsinki. However, on the way back, you talk about a requirement to avoid Singapore since it was a previous stopover between trips one and two. Leon then ends up in Kuala Lumpur and finds his way back to Darwin using Silk Air. Based on other discussions, I thought it was possible to end your journey in a place already stopped. My question is, what was the requirement to avoid Singapore at the end? Uh, well, good question. And this was uh, something that we talked about in episode 19 when I had Leon on the podcast. Um yeah, as, as we talked about in episode 19, booking a One World Award like in this way, is it's effectively a clever way to get two trips for the price of one, but the award was not intended for this. So you do have a few limitations uh, when you're trying to be clever like this. Um, so for example, if you start your trip in Australia, you cannot return to Australia midway through the award and then take another trip and come back to Australia again. Once you return back to Australia in the middle, the booking engine won't usually let you add on more flights. And this is the same reason that um, Leon needed to break up the trip in the middle in Singapore rather than going back to Darwin. Now, at the end, he could have returned to Darwin. That would have been allowed under the award routing rules, but we couldn't get any award availability that was suitable uh, back to Darwin without going uh, via Perth or the east coast of Australia, and that would have completely thrown out the mileage. So the next best option in his case was Southeast Asia to end the award. Now, according to the terms and conditions of this award, you're only allowed to stop over in any given city once. In this case, Singapore was a stopover midway through the trip, um, but uh, you are quite right, uh, GDA 380. At the end, it was effectively the final destination rather than another stopover. Um, so it wouldn't have been counted as a stopover twice. 
that said, the Qantas website did not allow us to book um, ending in Singapore um, due to the fact that um, we've already stopped over in Singapore midway through the trip. Now, I guess that if we had have called up, there might have been a chance that Qantas would have allowed us to book this over the phone if we had have got a good agent. Um, but the way it worked for Leon, it's actually the same number of Chris Fly miles to fly from Sing- um, Kuala Lumpur to Darwin on Silk Air as it is to fly from Singapore to Darwin. So ending the trip in Kale wasn't a cost imposition. And as it turned out... Um, he had to fly from Helsinki to Kuala Lumpur via Bangkok. To get from uh, Helsinki to Singapore, he actually would have had to fly via Bangkok and Kuala Lumpur anyway. So he didn't actually need to take any more flights. And so, um, yeah, in order to be able to book this online, we did it that way. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if if it would have been allowed to end in Singapore. Um, reading the um, the Qantas frequent flyer terms and conditions, there it doesn't specifically say that you can't. So there is a chance, I guess. Um, now, if you if this is a complicated award, if you have any doubt, you can consult section fourteen point five of the Qantas frequent flyer terms and conditions. Um, I've sometimes even had to read these out to inexperienced consultants at the Qantas call center who've been sprouting nonsense and making up rules as they go. The uh, the rules are listed there, section fourteen point five, and you can read them. This is publicly available. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that answers your question. It's uh, yeah, it, it is quite confusing and quite complicated, but um, it's the price you pay when you um, <laughs> want to use an award for something that's not intended. Um, and most of the times, it does work out, at least. Now, before I go, I just want to give a quick shout out to the listeners who've uh, left us reviews on Apple Podcasts over the last fortnight. We really appreciate that. Uh, one of the reviews is from Ash eight zero five one two who wrote, these podcasts are excellent, a great combination of news and informative long-form reviews. I particularly like how Matt goes into bat for ordinary frequent flyers and calls BS on the statements and spin that don't quite sit right. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much for that. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and if you're enjoying the podcast, please do take a couple of minutes to rate, review, and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. We do read all of the reviews, and uh, it helps us out enormously if you do that. Well, that's all I have time for this fortnight. For more information just about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes or visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au. In the episode notes, you'll also find a link to an AFF thread where you can discuss anything from today's episode or ask me a question uh, to be answered in the next episode as well. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips, and tricks for Aussie travellers. Until then, happy flying. Happy flying.